open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,499. 1,499. Matthew 3, verses 7 through 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find themselves cleansed by the Holy Spirit. When we last left off, we read of the prophet John who was baptizing people in the wilderness. And we spoke of the, of the people of Israel and how they were far from God. They were, they were a desert people without a kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven was coming. And this John was pleading with anyone who would listen to repent. For their king would soon arrive. And if they weren't prepared, they would face judgment. You see, this Messiah did, did not just appear out of nowhere. There were prophecies foretold, and there were signs in the heavens, such as the star of the Magi. And there was John the Baptist, a forerunner, one who would prepare the way for the Lord. The coming rule of God meant the coming of judgment. And so John spoke an urgent message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as we saw last week, many came confessing their sins, being baptized into the Jordan River. Which leads us to our passage for today. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? How would you like to have John the Baptist as our Sunday greeter? I mean, talk about a vicious welcome. 
Oh, now, why do you suppose John had such a strong reaction to these men? Who were these Pharisees and Sadducees anyways? Both were religious leaders in Israel. The, the Pharisees were a small but effective group that strictly followed the law of Moses and the tradition of the elders. Though they were few in number, they had the support of the people, for they were, they were a challenge to the establishment. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were the establishment. They, they represented the wealthy. They had control of the temple. And they were in bed with the Romans. Through, through, the, through their control of the, the ministry that happened in Jerusalem, they held sway. Needless to say, these two groups, they, they, they butted heads. They did not get along. They were like, like our modern-day Democrats and Republicans. They were people who loathed each other. So when we see them showing up together, you know that something strange is going on. In essence, their, their distaste for, for John the Baptist had overcome their disgust for one another. Therefore, they had, they had formed this temporary union to, in order to investigate this new threat. This wild man in the desert baptizing Jews and claiming that the reign of God was close at hand. You see, they, they did not come to repent of their sins. They came to judge. So when John sees them approaching, what does he say? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? In this age of political correctness, one of, the, one of the greatest sins we can commit is to offend someone. We want the world that we live in to be nice and, and pleasant. I mean, if you, if you don't stir up trouble, trouble won't find you, am I right? And the church, for the most part, has followed suit. And yet, our heroes of the faith, they set for us a different example. Listen to these words. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who, only, who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. That was the Apostle Jude. Or how about this? Watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. The Apostle Paul spoke those words. Or how about this? You snakes. You brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? No, this is not John the Baptist. This last quote were the words of Jesus. There are times for harsh words. 
There are times when offense is necessary. And John the Baptist had severe language towards these religious leaders. You brood of vipers. There's something about a snake that strikes terror into the hearts of almost everyone. The way they slither on the ground and yet are wickedly fast. It all seems unnatural, doesn't it? And they are silent killers. One quick strike and a person will be dead in moments. And in first century Israel, the, the risk and the fear of a viper was real indeed. Make no mistake, John was not being polite. This was not a warm welcome to these religious leaders, for he was calling them out by naming them a brood of vipers. He was telling them that they were wicked and that their teaching was full of poison. The, the sin that receives the harshest words in Scripture is the sin of blasphemy or false teaching. For the essence of blasphemy is a misrepresentation of God. All those quotes, those, those harsh words I just read to you, were spoken against false teachers, blasphemers. And this is exactly what these religious leaders were doing. With, with the Pharisees, they had added on to God's word through their traditions of the elders. They had placed a, a heavy yoke upon the people, a yoke that God had not commanded. And with the Sadducees, they had done the exact opposite. They had, de they had denied the majority of the Old Testament. They had taken God's word away. And because of that, they were able to control the, the regulations that applied to temple worship, allowing them to reap a profit. Both of these groups were misrepresenting God. And in doing so, they were leading people away from the kingdom. And so John asks of them, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Again, we see another component of John's teaching that, that grates against our American sensibilities. This idea that wrath is coming. The Greek word used here is orge, and it means to teem or to, or to swell up. It's like a, a fruit that has outgrown its skin, about to split and burst forth. Similarly, God is, is storing up his wrath for the day of his judgment. We in, a, in America love to emphasize God's love. And don't get me wrong, God's love needs to be emphasized, but not at the cost of his other attributes. You see, God is simultaneously loving his creation and judging it. To say that God would never be angry because he is a God of love is to set up a false dichotomy. Dear friends, the wrath of God is a real thing. It doesn't matter if it doesn't sit right with you. 
It is a reality that you have to deal with. God has righteous anger towards sin. And this is why, why John the Baptist was urgent with his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he gave the same message to these religious leaders. Look at verses 8 and 9. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. I won't belabor the issue since I preached on it just last week, but suffice it to say, if you wish to escape the coming wrath, if you want to be prepared for the coming king, then your repentance must be genuine. Because where there is no repentance, there is no salvation. This message was for these religious leaders. They needed to bear fruit as they turned from their sins and their false teachings. They couldn't just say to themselves, we are Jewish. We are God's chosen people. Surely we are saved. They couldn't rely on the good deeds of Abraham to secure their spot in the kingdom. No. For God would judge each one individually, no matter their pedigree. This message rings true for the church today as well. Neither can, neither can you trust in the good names of your fathers or in your attendance or your membership in a church. Are you safe because you pray to prayer? Are you secure because you are a member of First Congregational Church? Will you find entrance into the kingdom because you have Christian parents? No. Salvation comes about by only one route. Through repentant faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. There is no other way. You see, John was, he was drawing a line in the sand. And either you are on one side or the other. There is no middle ground. The true sons of Abraham are those who believe in this coming king and prepare themselves by repenting. And those who don't will have to face the wrath that is to come. And John gave to these men a picture of such wrath. Look at verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, we see the, the urgency of John's plea. Just as the kingdom was near, here we see that, that the axe is at the root of the tree. It's, it's ready to be swung. And unless a tree is bearing fruit, it will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In this verse, we see a, a hint of the, the type of judgment that is coming. John spells it out more clearly in our last verses. Look at verses 11 and 12. 
I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Finally, John gave to us a picture of the one who was to come, the one who is more powerful than he is. Last week we read a verse that spoke of the power of the Lord in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. This Messiah, this coming king, he, he comes with power. And John understood this. He knew that this man who would come with the authority from heaven was the Lord himself. This is why he says he's not even fit to carry his sandals. When I, when I lived in Thailand, the, the feet were considered the, the dirtiest and the most dishonorable part of the body. And so to even point one's foot at another person was a great insult. In first century Judea, where the people walked around in the dust all day long, it was the same thing. Feet and sandals were, were literally filthy. And it was the role of the lowest slave to handle such things. This is why in the, in the upper room at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus shocked his disciples by washing their feet. John believed he was unworthy to even carry the sandals of Jesus. And he was right. For he knew of Christ's true identity. And he understood the power of his baptism. You see, John's baptism was only preparatory. It was in anticipation of the, of the king's entrance. But when the king finally arrived, his baptism would inaugurate the messianic age, this age of the reign from heaven. And there is only one gate where people find entrance into his kingdom. Listen, there really are only two choices. Either a person will be baptized by the Holy Spirit or they will be baptized with fire. There's no getting around it. Those who choose to believe and repent, God will give them a new heart. He will cleanse them with His Holy Spirit. But those who remain hard-hearted, they will be immersed into the fire. It will be a baptism of destruction. And this is exactly what these religious leaders were facing. Jesus was coming. And he would expose the, the inner self of these Pharisees and, and Sadducees, demonstrating to the world their stubborn hearts. And Christ still does this today. He doesn't allow a person to straddle the fence. 
You can't marry the kingdom of this world with the kingdom of heaven. This is why his winnowing fork is in his hand. For the wheat must be separated from the chaff. And this chaff is destined for lasting fire. What is interesting about chaff is that it it burns up quickly. And yet John describes it as going into an unquenchable fire. What John is getting at is the ultimate verdict. He is giving to these men, to these Pharisees and Sadducees, the harshest of judgments. Essentially, if unless they truly repented, they were destined for an eternal hell. Brothers, sisters, do you see what John is communicating here? Judgment is at hand. And either you will be rescued by this Messiah as he baptizes you with his Holy Spirit, or you will face another baptism in the fire of God's wrath. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 14. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. The message of John the Baptist is one of warning. It is one of doom and peril. But what can get lost in his fiery sermon is the very thing we need to pay attention to. Listen, the the, the reason Peter urges the believer to look forward to the day of God and to speed its coming is the hope that lies within for the Christian. The new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. This is the same hope that we find in John's warning. It's not just that there will be a baptism with fire, but there will be a baptism with the Holy Spirit as well. And it's not just that the the chaff will be tossed into the fire, but the wheat will be gathered into his barn. All you who repent of your sins and trust in this Messiah and his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and and in his resurrection from the dead, You who who believe in this will be cleansed from above. You will receive new life as the Holy Spirit indwells you. 
and you'll be rescued from the wrath that is to come. When the elements will melt away in preparation for the new heaven and the new earth, where Christ will gather his flock, where he will gather you into your new home, where you will live in the presence of your king. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You can only be found spotless. You can only be found blameless. And you can only be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Repent and trust in him. Let us pray. Father, as we listen to John's message, we are challenged by the severity of your wrath. And yet you have provided for us rescue. This coming king, this, this one more powerful than I, your son, even though he brings judgment, he brings salvation as well. He died for our sins so that we could escape that coming wrath. Help us to believe this message. And if there's any of us here today that lack faith, we ask that you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit, finding entrance into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.